So John 12, verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father, again, the fact that we can come in here and we can call you Father, It is so beyond anything we could comprehend. The way that you have displayed, demonstrated the Father's love toward us. Not while we were getting it right, not while we were getting better. While we were sinning. The greatest act of love. On this day, the people thought they understood what was happening. But they really had no clue as to the deliverance that was coming for them. Would you please challenge us today? By the power of your word, with your spirit present. If there's anything that would hinder us from receiving your word, remove it. Let us be open and ready, receptive, teachable, accessible. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Valentine's Day 2019. I am in the van with some of our church kids and I'm waiting for them to get into the van, so I'm waiting outside, and and uh, we're about a week away from Valentine's Day, and I'm thinking, I want to do something creative. I want to do something different. I want to do something innovative. And as I'm scrolling on Facebook, just kind of waiting and on my phone, I come across a novelty pillow put out by Personal Creations. It's called the where it all began pillow and on the where it all began pillow what you can have is you can have your name that of your beloved inscribed when you met and where you met and the picture of it on facebook was pretty impressive it looked like this lush comfortable pillow and so i was so proud of myself you know john and tiffany uh june 2001 um FAU Davy campus, and uh, and I'm really proud of myself. And you know, some of the kids are like, "Oh, PJ, that's so romantic. We're not going to tell Miss Tiffany, and this is so awesome." And uh, a few days later, it comes in the mail. I don't open it up. I wait till the day before Valentine's Day, and uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. And so I get this. Okay, this is the. Uh, it all began at FAU Davy Campus, John and Tiffany, 611, 2001. And, and this. So, you know, you can just like kind of put it in the zipper and, you know, it's still, it's, it's interesting, but I mean, it's really not all that romantic. I mean, it's like I handed it a happy Valentine's Day here. You know, it's not quite what I expected. Uh, some of the things that we order never are what we expect. Um, but here's the thing. <laughs> 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 
Here's the thing. It's not what I expected, and yet, quite honestly, if I would have read the description of it, it was exactly what was described. It was 12 by 18. Uh, it said that it was 100% cotton canvas cover. It sounded good. It said with polyester fiber fill and a zipper back. It's exactly what was described. But because I didn't understand what was described, I ordered it, and when I got it, I was disappointed. You know, the expectation, well, it wasn't quite what I expected. I think that that's a good starting point for today. Because how many times did you take the job, and the job, well, you thought it would be this and that, you thought there would be better hours, you thought that there would be more pay, vacation time, PTO, and when you got there, it wasn't quite what you expected. What happens when the guy or the girl turns out to be, well, not quite what you expected? What happens when the tax return that you thought you were going to get turns into you owe, you owe, so off to work you go? What happens as you're looking at these things and you, you have these great big expectations and they kind of fall by the wayside? And what happens when life in general simply doesn't turn out the way that you plan? Do you look up to say, God, what are you doing? Why aren't things turning out the way that I had hoped, the way that I expected them? Do you think that maybe when we ask that question that it's possible that God looks down at us and he says, what are you doing? Why didn't you come to me in the first place? Because if I'm the author of life and you never consulted me, yet you tried to write your own story when I had this beautiful story written for you, and you're wondering why you're frustrated. You're wondering why you're heartbroken. You're wondering why you're broke. You're wondering why you're banging your head against the wall. You're running why, wondering why you're running fast and you're getting nowhere. And so it has a lot to do with expectations, and that's the name of the message today. Shattered expectations. Because somebody in this room, let's face it, everybody in this room, you've had expectations that something happened along the way and things did not turn out quite the way that you hoped or the way that you planned. Let's talk about the crowd. They're shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But yet, a week later, they're going to be shouting, crucify him. There's a song, a shout, a celebration as he's entering in. And after things don't quite turn out the way that they planned, well, now the tune changes. Just like sometimes when things don't work out, Kind of the way that our tune changes. Oh, praise you, God, and we're singing, and we're happy. Christ is enough. Christ alone, cornerstone, till someone cuts you off at the corner of Seacrest when you're trying to leave church. And then all of a sudden, things seem to change for a moment. So our message today about this Palm Sunday event called Shattered Expectations, and while it's not a continuation from the March study, well, from what we studied last week, we saw a guy named Peter, and Peter kind of had his expectations shattered a little bit. We're going to talk about him a little bit today, too. So we're going to talk about the crowd, we're going to talk about Peter, and then we're going to see how the shattered expectations can relate to us if we form our expectations not based in truth. So now let's talk a little bit about last week what happened. Do you remember when Peter was asked with the rest of the disciples, Jesus said, who do you say I am? He said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Oh, A-plus, Peter, come to the front of the class. You did not get this, but God the Father revealed it to you. God revealed it to you. Very good, Peter, but then when Jesus looked at him and he said, well, okay, now when we go into Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen. Okay, they're going to... Uh, they're going to crucify me, but I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. Do you remember what Peter does? Peter, Peter rebukes him. But that's okay, because Jesus turns around and he rebukes him. Okay, so Peter rebukes Jesus and says, you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, this is conduct unbecoming of a Savior. Um, so yellow flag on the play, and Peter says, you're wrong. And Jesus says, no, Peter, check yourself before you wreck yourself. You're the one that's wrong. 
Why? What happened was this, is that whatever Jesus was saying, it didn't compute. Peter didn't fully understand. And so when Jesus said what he said, Peter's expectations were in the process of getting shattered. And we're going to see that this happens more and more in Peter's story um, and in what we're talking about this week. And so here's what we have. We have the great multitude in John 12. They came to the feast. Okay, this was the Passover feast, and when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, chapter 12, verse 12, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Here's what you have to understand about the Passover feast. This was a time that was very exciting to the children of Israel. Here's why. You've seen the movie, one of the movies, The Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt, any of those movies. If you're even somewhat vaguely familiar with the story of Moses, then what you know is this. Is that when the tenth plague came upon Egypt, it was the death of the firstborn. You remember the story now? Alright, and so to save them, what they were instructed to do, the children of Israel, was to take the blood of an unblemished, spotless, perfect lamb and put it on the doorpost. So the blood on the doorpost would mean that the angel of death would pass over their houses and they would be spared. What is it a picture of? It's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of the cross. But for what it was for them, it was deliverance from tyranny, from the Pharaoh. And so now they're still celebrating this feast and every time the feast rolls around, the messianic expectation is up here. Because it reminds them at one point that they were delivered, that they could be delivered again. But now, with this guy Jesus coming into town, oh, they've heard about some things that he can do. They've heard that he heals the sick that no physician can heal. They've heard that he can feed the multitudes. They've heard that he can control weather patterns. They've heard that he raises the dead. What a greater person to put their messianic expectation in. And so, Hosanna, which means, it literally means save. Save us. And they're singing this Hosanna. It's based off of Psalm 118. It's based off of their scriptures that they're shouting and celebrating, yet they're not somehow understanding. Why? Because their expectations are not rooted in truth. And expectations, and this is our first point today, first to 15 points. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Some of you are, 15 points. No, for, <laughs> our first point is that expectations will be shattered when they are not rooted in the truth. All right, expectations are going to be absolutely shattered, obliterated, when they are not rooted in truth. The crowd had heard of a Messiah. They'd read about a Messiah. They'd been taught by their leaders about a Messiah. But they were taught about the Messiah that was going to come in and deliver them from Roman tyranny. That's what they expected. They didn't want a humble God becoming a baby, sympathetic high priest. That's not what they wanted. They wanted a warrior to deliver them. They wanted another Moses to deliver them. That's what the crowd was expecting. And they could rightly somewhat expect that. They could expect that because of what we see in Isaiah. It's the 11th chapter. And this is part of the prophecy regarding the Messiah where it says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf of the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water cover the sea. And they would read passages like that, and they would be encouraged, and they would be blown away, and they would be hopeful because they'd say, well, you know what? If that's what the Messiah looks like, that's what we want. We want deliverance from the Caesars, from the Herods, from the Pilots. We want deliverance. 
And according to the scriptures, when the Messiah comes, when the Savior comes, this is what it's going to look like. But here's the problem. They're not reading the whole story. And this is the church's problem. We're not reading the whole story. You see, because if I tell you that to exercise the power of positive thinking, everything is going to go well in your life and you're always going to get a happy ending when you don't, who will you blame? A, the pastor. B, the church. C, God. D, all of the above. If we don't teach the full counsel of God. And so that's why when we start a book, what we do is we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, so that we can teach the whole counsel of God, so that we can understand the truth of who he is, and that we can understand that when we face tribulations, Jesus himself said it. John 16, 33, in this world you'll have much tribulation. Peter said it. Now you greatly rejoice, but, but, but there's, going to be, there's going to be a time of suffering and trials. James says it, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Not if you face trials, but whenever you face trials. It's promised in Scripture. What if we don't teach that? Then there's disenchantment with the church. There's disappointment in God. As if your situation got past God. Oh, what this person said to me, Pastor, what this person did to me, you don't understand. My only question is this. Is that what this person did to you, what this person said to you? Listen, did it get past him? If it didn't, was it allowed, was it ordained, orchestrated, if you will, somehow for the benefit of those that love God? But if our expectations are not rooted in truth, if we only read the Isaiah 11s without reading the Isaiah 53s, if that's all they were teaching, well, Isaiah 53 says this. It says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, and he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that he should desire. Now, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Do you look at that? Do you see that? Is that what the world portrays about Jesus? Is that what the media portrays about Jesus? In most of the movies that have been made about Jesus, Jesus looks like a supermodel. Long, flowing hair, big blue eyes, piercing. It says there is nothing, no beauty that we should desire He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And this, my friends, is truth. This is the truth of the Messiah. Yeah, there were the prophecies that talked about the victorious Messiah, the victorious Savior, but there were also so many prophecies that talked about a suffering Messiah, a suffering Savior, and you can't teach one without the other. Otherwise, you have an incomplete idea, your own idea of who God is. And what we've started doing at that moment is we've started compiling our gold. We've started making a calf. We've started creating the God that we want rather than the God that what is described. And here's the problem with that. The God that is described here is so much bigger and so much better and so much more massive and so much more powerful than anything. We can ask or imagine, but here's the thing. If your expectations are rooted in anything other than truth, you are going to be way, way, way disappointed. Yeah. 
the people could not reconcile what they saw. And so Jesus began to get confusing as he entered into town. And here they were singing and they were laying their clothes on the ground and shouting Hosanna and singing. Well, the thing right after that moment, well, what we're told is that he turned over the tables. He went into town and he turned over the tables on them. Now, here's what's happening. At first, they're celebrating. But now, because things aren't happening the way that they wanted them to, now they're kind of doubting. Now they're questioning. Now graduates from their doubting and their questioning to their downright disappointment. And then from their disappointment, it goes to anger and discouragement and disgust with God. And now it goes to a shout that says, crucify him. And while you probably haven't been to that point where you've said, oh, I'm so disappointed, just crucify him. You probably have gotten to a point where you've said, all right, I believe, I believe. I'm starting not to believe. I'm struggling to believe. And you're struggling at that point. You're questioning, I wonder if I'm even really saved. It's a crisis of doubt because our expectations so often are not rooted in truth. And that's the first point. What are you looking for in a job? What are you looking for in a relationship? What are you looking for out of life? What's important? Is the thing that's important to you important to him? And if it's not important to him and you've made it so important to you, your expectations are not rooted in truth. You're looking for heartbreak. You're looking for disappointment. And that brings us to the second point. Shattered expectations lead to ungodly responses. Now, at first when I worded this, I, I struggled with this until this morning. The word on I, I first phrased this point, shattered expectations lead to unhealthy responses. And I couldn't sit with it. I sat down with my wife this morning. I said, does that even sound right to you? And she was like, no. I said, does this sound better? Shattered expectations lead to ungodly responses. That's the point. If we just said, well, that's just not a healthy response. No. Sometimes, because our expectations are shattered, it becomes downright ungodly the way that we respond. Think about it. The crowd here, after a week, because Jesus wasn't what they thought they would be, the response is downright satanic. Crucify him. It's, it, is the, it is the darkest moment in human history. You understand that, right? When mankind puts its perfect creator on a cross, it's the darkest moment in human history. And so it becomes an ungodly response. And that's why what we studied last week, it was so important. Because when Jesus says, listen, I'm going to go uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to be resurrected. And Peter says, no, that's not going to happen. He says, get behind me, Satan. It's an ungodly response, and so he's called out on an ungodly response. But it's not just there for Peter. Okay? In John 13, when Jesus goes to wash the feet of his disciples, if you remember the story, he takes the form of the lowest servant in the house, disrobes, gets on his hands and knees, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. And do you remember who stands up and says, you're not going to do this? Do you remember who it is? It's Peter. You're, no, you're not going to do this. And Peter says, yeah, I am. Peter's like, no, oh, no. Jesus says, no, I am. Because if I don't do this, I have no part with you. Do you see how gradually what's happening to Peter is that his, his expectations are getting shattered. His responses are ungodly because he's correcting God. That's what we begin to do. When things, when our expectations aren't rooted in truth, not only is there going to be disappointment, but what's going to happen is that our response is going to be anger. It's going to be frustration. It's going to be fear. It's going to be anxiety. All of these things are going to compound because we put our expectation in the wrong places, and now our response to life is going to be ungodly at best. Ungodly at best. The best example of this ever is a few pages over, and if you would turn with me there to John 18.
Now, just to set up John 18, by this point, Peter has told Jesus that he's going to be with him to the end. He's going to die with him if he has to. Whatever has to be done, I'm with you. Even if every other disciple fails, even if every other disciple walks away, I will never deny you. I'm going to be there with you till the end. And what's happening is that Peter is writing out checks with his mouth that his spirit cannot handle. Oh, I'll be with you. John 18, let's read it. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, and which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he, therefore if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then, here's where the rubber hits the road, it's verse 10. Listen. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now let me ask you something. Why did Peter move if he didn't see Jesus moving? If he just admitted shortly before that that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ, if he didn't see Jesus moving, why did he move? And so he acts on his own, and he cuts off the right ear of Malchus, but then Jesus says to Peter, put your sword into the sheath, shall I not drink the cup? which my Father has given me. Now you know what happens in the passage, that Jesus goes on to heal his ear. What do you think is going through Peter's mind? This isn't what I expected at all. What I thought was going to happen on this night didn't quite turn out the way that I thought it should turn out, and because it didn't turn out the way that I thought it should turn out, he is on shaky ground. He's on very shaky ground, because it's just a few verses later where we see in verse 15 of chapter 18, where it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her, who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door, said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. And that's the first of his, that's the first of his denials. What happened between Peter saying, I'm with you to the end, to the moment where he charges into battle before anybody else, to the moment where he's interrogated, not waterboarded, interrogated by a servant girl, no, I don't even know. What happened? Fear, that's right. So can we say an ungodly response? An ungodly response, why? Because his expectations were based off of fallacy and what he thought and what he wanted rather than what the truth was. And so the shattered expectation leads to an ungodly response and now he crumbles. And you fault him and you say, oh, bad Peter, bad Peter, bad Peter. <laughs> And then we look in the mirror. Because I know I've crumbled under far less sometimes in my own life. Shattered expectations can lead to ungodly responses. Responses in the flesh. When again, we just have to ask ourselves simple questions to refocus us. Did your situation get past God? 
did what they did, did what they say, did it get past God? And if it didn't get past God, do you trust him? Because if you don't trust him, then the responses are going to be rooted in fear. They're going to be rooted in disappointment. They're going to be rooted in anger. And so if shattered expectations lead to unholy responses, the third point is this. Unholy responses lead to unholy methods. Let me rephrase that. Ungodly responses lead to unholy messes. How many of you have made a mess sometimes because of an ungodly response? You said something you shouldn't have said. You did something you shouldn't have did. I don't think I used correct English there, but that's okay. <laughs> you did something you shouldn't have done. Listen. Ungodly responses lead to unholy messes. Do we see that in the story of Adam and Eve? I think so. Do we see that in the story of Cain and Abel? Do we see that in the story of the sons of Israel? When you look at the stories of, uh, of Levi and Simeon and Judah and Reuben, do you see that? That the ungodly responses, they lead to the unholy messes. God tells the children of Israel, listen, go to the land of Canaan. They send spies out to Canaan. The spies come back, and ten spies say, we can't go into that land because it's full of giants. Two spies said, and Joshua and Caleb, two spies come back and say, we should take the land. God said, but ten of them denied it, and it created a mess, such a mess that the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years years. Ungodly responses lead to unholy messes. My best evidence of this is a mirror. It's my own life. And maybe you can relate to some of the messes that have been created by unholy responses that were brought about by shattered expectations. You see, what we have here is a book full of man creating messes and God claiming them up. Fair, and what we have here is a room full of messes. I'm not coming back to church next week. You just called me a mess. It's okay. We're, we're, we're going somewhere. Okay, we are going somewhere. We came back. We came to the church first time this week. Last time this week, pastor called us all messes, and this is not what I was expecting for Palm Sunday. It's about shattered expectations. Okay, so so here we go. Some unholy messes. All right? But here's the thing. And this is the good news. God specializes in turning messes around. Amen. I didn't, and I usually don't ask for amens, but there wasn't a lot of enough amen there. God specializes in turning messes around. Amen. Thank you very much. Okay, praise the Lord. Okay, God specializes. Listen. You've heard Anthony's testimony. And I didn't mean to do this like, well, speaking of mess. No. <laughs> You've heard Anthony's testimony. Anthony spoke a couple of weeks ago, and he, and he talked about what God had done to turn his life around. There's an article in Prison Fellowship magazine about what God has done in his life. And shame on me, because we should have copies of that article. We should have had it at the moment that it was published. I did send it out to, to some of you. Um... But I didn't send it to you. <laughs> I didn't send it to you. Um, but here's the thing. Anthony's story is unique, and it's not unique. It's unique to him. But every single person in here has a mess that God has taken, and he's turned it into not only a message, but a masterpiece. Because that's his specialty. That's what he does. He specializes in this. Listen, the darkest thing, the worst thing that mankind could have done putting a Savior on a cross, he uses it to give us light and to give us hope. And we take a look and we say, well, how did you do that? But how does it work? How do the unholy messes get turned around into his message? Here's how it happens. You get to the point where relationally you've been doing things on your own and you're hurt and you're broken and you finally come to the point where you say, I'm done. You get to the point 
where you've made enough financial mistakes and now you're just sitting there and you're like, I have no idea what's going to happen next, and you finally say, God, I'm done. Relationally, vocationally, financially, mentally, spiritually, you come to the point where you say, there's nothing left. It's just a mess. God, here. God says, thanks, now you come to me, okay? It's not like you're coming to him at the great point in your life where everything's going well and the job's going good and the relationship's going good, and you say, oh, to Jesus, I surrender. You only surrender to him when we have nothing left. Why? Why? That's his specialty. Are you done yet? Have you ever... Have you ever kind of heard him ask that? Maybe not the 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 audio, but maybe have you heard that? Have you heard him say that here? Are you done yet? Because I've been waiting for you. I've got your story. I have it written out, and I am ready whenever you are to turn it over. Because it's those moments where things aren't going well, and that's when the Holy Spirit is drawing you. Because no man can come unless he's drawn by the Holy Spirit. And that's the moment. When we turn to God, now here's the thing, and this is where the script gets flipped, all right? Because if we say that God specializes in turning messes around, if that is truth, then when we turn to truth, this is when God will shatter our expectations. When you turn to the truth, what you'll find is that it's above anything that you could imagine because you can't necessarily see all the time, though you believe that he has your best interest in mind. Let me give you a great example of this. We are mourning as a family. We are hurting. Truly. Broken. At the end, a woman who could run circles around most people I've ever seen, most men I've ever seen, is barely able to make it from a bed three feet away to the bathroom without getting completely out of breath. And there's sadness. And there's weeping. But then there's truth. And truth looks like this. John 14. Anthony spoke of it yesterday. Jesus' disciples are struggling with the things that he said. And he looks at them and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Stop right there for a second. In my Father's house many mansions. My emotions, the fact that I'm personally going to miss her, have to be overridden by truth that says she's in a mansion. Where she's at right now, believe it or not, as much as she loved me, as much as she loved him, as much as she loved you all, guess what? She doesn't want to come back. She doesn't want to come back. That's crazy to me. That shatters my expectation. Because it also says I'm going to be with her again. And this time when I'm with her, it's not going to be for 47 years. It's going to be for all of eternity. That's truth. And you see, that's how we fight. We take the truth of this book and we counter the lies. We override the emotions and we say, this is truth. And I'm standing here. And even when the sky is falling and the world is crumbling and everything is shaking, you stand up and you say, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and they will not faint. That's truth. Do you see how that shatters the expectations? 
And those are the expectations that need to be shattered. Because what I thought God was, he's so much bigger, so much better, so much more beautiful than I could ever think or imagine. You want proof? Turn with me just for a moment to Ephesians 3. I just want you to hear the heart of Paul, the Holy Spirit speaking through him. It's chapter 3, verse 8. You want to look, you want to do a book study? Go through Ephesians. You want to know who God is, who you are to him. You want to have the mystery just like unveiled. You want to be blown away by the truth of who God is. Read this book. Listen to what Paul says. To me, verse 8, who am less than the least of all the saints. Paul? The least of all the saints? That was not some false humility. Oh, I'm just the least of these. No. When Paul had God in perspective, this was truth. To me, who am the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable, listen, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Are you picking up on this? According to the eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him who we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven on earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in you, your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Listen to this. Listen to this. Take it home. Meditate on it. Marinate in it. Listen, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's got to say amen in the middle of the letter. Because it's just such a powerful truth that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. What does that tell you? That tells you that he's dying to shatter your expectations by the truth of his word. Because how can you not, sitting in there meditating on this and just looking at it and reading it and receiving it and submitting to it, how can you not sit there and go, wow, just wow. Just wow. When our truth is a person, and that person is Jesus, when that's your truth, and your expectations are this person, you will finally be free from the things that have been imprisoning you. For some of you, it's your past. We're going to talk about some of this stuff next week, but for some of your past mistakes that you just keep kicking yourself and you keep reliving the same mistake over and over. For some, it's the thing that's in front of you and you just can't get through it. For some, it's the prospect of a bleak future. And you're taking a weakened position. Here's what I mean. 
You've taken a weakened position. Because here's what you've done. You said, I know God's word says this, but here's my past. I know God's word says this, but here's what everybody's saying. I know God's word says this, but I can't see my future. I know God says this, but this thing is broken beyond repair. I know God's word says this, but we fell in the black for you. That needs to change. That needs to change. It needs to be more like this. I know my future is uncertain, but God's word says this. I know that my present is a mess, but God's word says this. I know that my past was a uh, tragedy, but God's word says this. This is truth. You understand what we have to do? We have to stop saying, listen, I know God's word says this, but we have to start saying, I know this, but God says this. That's truth. And that's the truth that can shatter expectations. So in closing, what we're going to say is something really simple. And it's the last challenge for you today. Because when you truly let God shatter your expectations with truth, you're going to pray for him to keep shattering your expectations. If I can remember it. <laughs> when, when you truly let God shatter your expectations, you're going to pray for him to keep shattering your expectations. But here's the challenge, church. How many of you here today are willing to ask God, to, to ask God, not just to accept what he's doing. How many of you here are willing to ask God to, you know what, God? My expectations, if the relationship isn't what you want, I don't want it. If this future isn't what you want for me, I don't want it. Shatter it. How many of us are willing to do that? I don't know if I want to do that. Because here's what that means. That means trusting in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding, acknowledging him in all your ways, because you believe he will make your path straight. God, if it's not from you, I don't want it. That's truth. We should be praying daily. Because the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So if there's something in my flesh that I want and you don't want it, take it. I don't know if I want to pray that. You know who prayed that? In the garden, Jesus said, listen, possible, take this cup from me. But not as I will. As you will. Not as I will, but as you will. I want to close you with a little illustration that I read this morning. There was a lady who lived out in the boondocks. Somewhere up to 441. <laughs> there was a lady who lived in the boondocks. She did not have electricity, but she wanted it. She called the electric company and they made arrangements so that a line could be gotten out to her so that she could have the benefits of electricity. After delivering electricity to her home for almost six months, someone at the company noticed that only one unit of electricity was being used. A serviceman was sent out to check out and make sure there was no problem. He rang her doorbell, and when she answered, he asked, Hello, ma'am, uh, are, are you using electricity? And she said, Why, yes, I am. May I ask what you're using it for? Well, uh, yes, sir. Uh, when it gets dark, I turn on the light long enough for me to light my kerosene lamp. The woman didn't understand the power she had. She had all this power that could keep things well lit all night long, but she was settling for a kerosene existence. Many Christians are settling uh, and taking this great power that God has given them 
only to light their human efforts. They are not maximizing the power of his presence in their lives. As a church, we've set the bar too low. I don't mean Calvary Chapel, Delray Beach. I mean the church in general out there. Because the church is delivering a message so often that says this. The church is delivering a message saying, you can have your best life now. Listen. Your best life is coming the moment we are in his presence. That's going to be your best life. All right? And that's what we're living for. That's what we're making investment for. Our time, our talent, our treasures. They're being put towards that moment. That's the investment that we're looking for. And if not, we're settling. The power of the Holy Spirit is at work in you to do things on this earth that will make a difference for all of eternity. If you're not living in that truth, you are missing. And you're just using one unit on God saying, listen, I have unleashed my power in you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you again. Lord, even as we pray through this Ephesians 3.20 that says that you're able to do immeasurably, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. The next part of that verse says, according to the power that works in us. Let us take pause there, God. According to the power at work in us. God, today, the crowd was confused. The one that was riding into town was indeed coming to save them. but not from temporary Roman rule, from satanic opposition. And yet the crowd yelled, crucify him. May our cry be that he would be the king and the Lord of our lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Please give us that fresh film of your spirit. For each one here, Father, let our lives be a response to say today, listen, if there are things that I'm hoping for that are not yours, then I don't want them. Every time we get up to do a message, if there's something you don't want said, don't let it be said. Don't let anything be so precious to us that we're not willing to realize that it's from you and for you. And guide our every step. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.